Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, America's podcast where we talk to interesting people. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Eat it, Scott Ackerman. Why do I say that? I love Scott Ackerman. Anyway, great guest today. We have Woody Foo on. We're coming at you a little later than usual. We had a situation in the studio. You've heard all the banging on the apartment above mine. Because they're renovating it. Well, they're doing something, and then water just started dripping into the apartment, uh, potentially destroying some things. So we had that to deal with before we could get to you today. But we do have some news. Please check out thereitispod.com. We have a new blog up covering every comedy festival with open submissions in the month of September. So go check that out. Let's get to today's episode. It's with Woody Fu, as mentioned, and I met him at the Magnet, and we have a really great chat talking about his time at UCB and Magnet and Boom Chicago. It has a lot of information, really tangible advice, so I think you're going to enjoy it. Here's my chat with Woody Fu. I guess I first saw you doing improv, but you also do a ton of... A sketch work and and character work and bits that I've also seen that you're great at. Thank you. But you're you're also working in production. I my background is production. For like ten years, I worked in video production. I was at uh, MTV. Uh, there was a tiny like offshoot like diversity Asian MTV like umbrella that was around for four years and then everyone got fired. Um, but it was MTV Chi for Chinese Americans, MTV K for Korean Americans, and MTV Daisy for South Asians. And then we all got shit canned, which goes to show how much they value diversity in like 2005. Um, and then we, and then I worked for Sony music doing post-production there for like another four or five years. So I, I have a like super, I have like a very self-taught, like didactic, uh, like autodidactic uh, uh, production background. Wow, yeah, you do. That's a that's a lot. I didn't know that it was that deep for you too. Well, that was like my corporate. Like, so basically through my twenties, I was very much like be a good boy, immigrant parents, get a job, money, four hundred one k, and then because of that, I like worked in video production. But I was also like, this you have to have a job. You can't pursue comedy because that's insane. Um, and I didn't. I truly didn't know that. You know, like. Most I feel like most people who end up pursuing comedy like at 15 are like, wow, I didn't know you could have a job pursuing comedy. I didn't know that until like I was like 35. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I was doing a lot of like good boy, like uh, having a job for a very long time. Um, and during that time, I started taking classes at the Magnet. This must have been around 2009, I want to say. Um, that's when I, that was like my first like, like reintroduction to improv because I had done like I like watched a lot of improv in like the early 2000s like at UCB and like um, but it was all kind of casual and then um, when the magnet was around um, I started like for real doing it okay that's dope yeah that's really it's really cool I didn't know that you had been 
studying for that long either. So uh, you've been at it for, for a good stretch there. Yeah, I had like, um, well, what happened was like, okay, so I graduated Wesleyan in 01 and I came to New York and I started, took, I took some UCB classes back when it was still at the strip club on like 23rd, I think. And like, even back then UCB was so competitive and I hated it. It was so, it was like high school part two. Everyone was like, you know, how funny are you? Therefore, how worth my time talking to you is this? And if you're like, if you don't pass the cool, like, you know, if you're not like the funniest white guy wearing a plaid shirt in the room, then like you're not worth the time. And so I was like, Oh, I'm 21. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm like, not, I'm like not motivated or encouraged enough to stay in this environment. And like the, the competitive atmosphere, like was, I didn't want it. I didn't like it, you know? So I quit, um, and didn't do improv for many years. And then, um, my friend, uh, Cynthia started taking classes at magnet and she invited me to a level one show. This must've been around 2008. And I was like, Oh shit, I forgot. I loved improv. Like I used to go to ASCAD all the time, uh, in the early two thousands. And like, just it, that part of me got like, went away i just like wasn't doing it um so since 2008 i started taking classes at magnet and then at first you know very casually like this is for fun this is something i get to, i get to do at night and la 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 and but really it was because i wanted to do it and was too scared to like commit to doing it um for for a while but like through that time i like was basically going through the system at magnet and like you know performing on megawatt and like uh like i was i was in that phase that everyone goes through you know where it's like i'm gonna go see trike every saturday and then like take vigorous notes in my mind you know and then like um compare it to with my fellow level six students like sean version i used to do this all the time and like super geek out on improv you know what i mean like the, oh the yeah i'm still in that phase yeah <laughs> yeah you know you like the full conversation about form you know what i mean like 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 philosophy of matching like all this stuff i have like notebooks filled yeah with shit same. from this time period literally <laughs> just like it's like secret of improv like volume four like and you know what i mean just like endless like the deep nerd level which i think you kind of have to go through um and then, but then you come out the other side of eventually, hopefully. Well, I haven't come out the other side of it because whenever, <laughs> um, whenever Sweetheart practices, I bring out my notebook and I start, mm-hmm. I, I take notes. I, you know, I write down what exercises, what warm ups we did, and then what exercises we did, and then any sort of uh, valuable, I think, like. Uh, like any sort of wise idioms that are mentioned. And oh when, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have, that. yeah. And when you have a coach like, as I, as we did for a little bit, uh, like Lewis Gornfeld, you get a lot of idioms. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I'm, yeah. I have a notebook filled of, of that. <laughs> oh my God. I, I remember the first magnet, um, uh, director series was the movie and Ed Herbstman was directing it. And like, I felt like I was a uh, freshman at an all senior party, you know, because like that cast was insane. It was like uh, Christian Palak, Peter McNerney, Nick Canellis, Jamie Rivera, Lewis, um, Chet, uh, Alana. Um, oh God, I'm sure I'm missing some other people. Uh, Marino was in it, um, a, bu- a bunch of other people. But like, I was definitely not. At the le- these were all weekend performers, you know what I mean? And I was like, Durr. and literally at the end of every show, I would write down beat for beat 
everything that happened throughout the whole show because I was like, these are all masters and I'm like on stage with them and like, uh, oh yeah, Fiona Malik was in that. And so I think, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, I would, I would like try to transcribe from memory the shows because I was like, these are masters who are unconsciously have mastered the form and like, I'm just a tourist and like, I need to like break down what they do in the scene so that I can you know, be good one day. <laughs> it's like, honestly, I don't blame you. God. <laughs> I was mentally doing that. And I kind of wish now that I had been writing notes as well. <laughs> Cause that's the yeah. nerd that I am. It reminds me yeah. of Brian James O'Connell. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he said when mm-hmm. he was studying at IO West, he would just sit up in like the top, right? Like just like sit in the same seat and just watch everybody mm. all the time and absorb as much as he could and, and just study. Mm. He would just study them. That's, so absolutely. That's why the, that's why the tech is always like the most seasoned improv person, you know, cause they see it's like Sid, it's like if you're auditioning for a TV show or commercial or something, the reader, the person who's in the room seeing all the auditions is the most informed person because they're like, Oh, I have like a 360 views. Like someone who's been taking megawatt watching like five hours of improv is like, oh, I immediately get what is good improv and what is not. For sure. Yeah, I I definitely get that. And I, I would agree because there are people who just they're seeing some of the greats all the time and every week, yeah. you know, at least yeah. once a week they're taking in a bunch of shows. If you get to tech on weekend shows. Oh, gosh, that's mm. a that's a good spot to be in. Yeah, I mean, Amanda used to tech uh, for Trike on Saturdays, and oh, she was, oh. she's, you know, it's obviously, like, very early on, she was like, I am so nervous about calling it the wrong time, and, like, you know what I mean, like, this is, like, the, the top billing show of the theater, you know, and, like, I'm responsible for, like, figuring out when it's just right, when it's supposed to end, and, like, that's, you know, n- never, never mind, like, the technical aspect of, like, I have to black it out and press play on the s- song and make sure the volume's up and the timing has to be right. The, you know what I mean? Like, has to feel narratively satisfying. Like, I, I totally get it. I'm like, geez, that can be that can be overwhelming, too. For sure. And you mentioned Amanda. Amanda, uh, an alumni of Sweetheart. She's, uh, mm-hmm. well, not, she, I'd say once you're in Sweetheart, you're always in sweet, Sweetheart. But she stepped mm-hmm. away for grad school. Uh, but... She's so great. Such a diverse performer. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she's great. You also mentioned Wesleyan. Um, oh, yeah. We have to mention famous Go Wesleyan. West. Famous Wesleyan. Right. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Who, oh, my God. On a mm-hmm. show, and I want to talk about uh, this character show that you did, but in that show, you uh, in that, that piece that you did, you did a bit where you went back in time and were talking to yourself at like 14 or something like that. And you gave oh, yeah, yourself yeah. advice to be nicer to Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did overlap there. I mean, you graduated the year before he graduated. Yeah, yeah. I was a year above him. And there's apparently a tweet that <laughs> that uh, oh my God. connects yeah, okay. you to. And I, I yeah. have the tweet. So there was something, it was a, a, a profile on you as a, as a Wesleyan grad. And mm-hmm. uh, you had mentioned that uh, you graduated the year before him and you would see him around campus a lot. And he always had a different hat. He was always wearing all of these hats. Yeah. Famously, that's like his like brand. <laughs> you know, he's got like the, the newsy cap. Yeah. <laughs> and he responded, Woody was always in a brown or beige hoodie and impossibly cool. This checks out. 
Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, like, yeah, in that interview with uh, the Argus, which is Wesleyan Paper, we talked about Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I was like, oh, yeah, he always had a different hat on, and also, because I didn't do theater in college, so I didn't really know him, but, like, I'm sure we probably saw each other at a party, like, once or twice and got in a conversation or something, but um, my main memory of him was that he was, like, so positive and always like optimistic and smiling and like i i saw him i saw this like this shining optimism in him like i was like he's positive but and obviously it was because i was not positive you know what i mean i was like not enthusiastic and positive about my own career and i was like that guy's figured something out like why can't i yeah and, and he is and like always beaming <laughs> yes oh yeah that's like his thing is like if you just mental image you know uh your residual mental image of him is he just smiling um, so I said this and of course, true to brand, Lin-Manuel like weighed in via tweet and was like, and even complimented me, even though like in my thing, I was like, that guy was annoying because he was so positive. I was like, man, this guy is so like gracious in that way, you know? And I was like, man, that he's, of course he knows what his thing is. His thing is like, this is me and I'm not going to apologize. I'm like optimistic. I'm positive. And like, even when like fellow alum are like, this guy was annoying because he was so positive. Like, He's still eh, going to you know? say that you're impossibly cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, well, I, now that you just proved it, like I am an asshole. Um, but no, yeah, yeah. It, that, that was, uh, I was very like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's really funny. Slash makes total sense. Oh gosh. Yeah. I love that about him. I, I do want to comment that there is one tweet in response to his, and it was, oh man, Woody has a show at seven next Tuesday. You should check it out. Last <laughs> week, it was about a witch cursing people's junk. And I was like, oh gosh, you did not do Woody any favors <laughs> by saying it, That's by so tagging it That's out funny. of context like that. It's like, hey, Lin-Manuel, do you like improv? Let me explain to you an improv show premise. <laughs> right. Oh gosh, that person didn't help you out. Uh, yeah. But I I do hope that Lin-Manuel checks out your shows because you are really great. You're such a, oh, it's, you. I mean, you're, you're going to hear me say it a lot. You're such a dynamic performer because when i when i see you do improv and versus when i see you do sketch versus when i see you do character bits mm -hmm. you're always so consistent always solid but i'm i feel like i'm getting a different you each time mm -hmm. and uh when i saw that that character bit show that i was talking about there was a professionalism that I hadn't seen, uh, but from uh, maybe a, one or two other people doing character pieces. And like even just the way you set it up, I was sort of like, oh, OK, I'm learning how to set it up. If you want to record something, you get really clean explanations in there. And it was all very mm. tight and great. Mm. Oh, that's great to hear, man. Thank you. Yeah, was that something that you learned to develop or, or, or like how did you end up developing that aspect of doing a character piece? Uh, it's kind of both. Uh, it, it, I mean, the short answer is there was a lot of UCB training. Um, like their UCB writing program, their characters program and their sketch program, I think is pretty excellent in terms of encapsulating what the UCB philosophy is. Like basically I've always thought that like I prefer Magnet as, this is kind of a, a tangent, but I've always loved Magnet for improv because they teach you what is your thing, what is your voice, how do you how do you become more you, right? And the UCB thing is like, make your brain Matt Besser's brain. And if you can't think exactly like Matt Besser does, then you're doing improv wrong and you're not going to get on our Herald team. Which, you know, obviously gross oversimplification, but that was my feeling on it. Um, that being said, I think the UCB sketch writing program is excellent because 
they can codify that philosophy, the game-based philosophy in a way that is actionable where you're like, oh, okay, well in the moment in improv, I can't force my brain to start thinking game. You know what I mean? Like if that's not naturally how I think. Um, so therefore I'm not actually fully in the moment versus sketch where it's like, oh, I have this idea. Great. We can rewrite this based on the logic and, and rules of game. And I'm like, okay, great. This is, thank you UCB philosophy. Cause I can use that in this, in this medium. Um, and the UCB thing is like, uh, give away the game as quickly as possible. Like just tell people, just point your finger at what people should be laughing at. Like as specifically as possible, just be like, this is the character who da da da. And then just start doing it. Just like set it up and joke, 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 and then get out. Um, and so for their, for, for Maud and for characters welcome, uh, at UCB, which are their like house, um, writing performance teams, um, they basically follow that, that formula. Um, and the trick is, you know, how can you, how can you write something that fits that formula, but is surprising and feels exciting to watch, you know? Um, so that thing that you saw me do that showcase thing was like a condensed version of a character. So like that version I wrote, I wrote a character that was of that. The bit is that like, I travel through time and I meet my 14 year old self and all my advice is unhelpful. Um, that's, there's like a longer, like five minute version of that. And then I just crunched it down to like the one minute of like what I thought like were the best the best jokes from the five minute version and so in that showcase you're just seeing like in set up joke 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 get out um which is very much a UCB thing oh that's great I also noticed your 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 acting chops when I saw you do a UCB sketch show like you, you had a part that you didn't I feel like you didn't even have lines it was a sketch where you were, um, you just kept accidentally pouring mustard all over yourself. Oh you saw that? You saw that? <laughs> yes. And you killed insane. that. I mean, it was so funny. It was, I think, the hardest I laughed at night. And there were a bunch of great sketches. But there was just like, there's a certain presence that you bring to it that I think is a very key element to people who are successful at sketch comedy, which is being very i don't know the best way to word it but it's like being laser focused with the funny presentation that you can bring to the stage mm. like knowing you're funny well enough to where you can hone it and present it very clearly and succinctly and knowing how to use it, this is something that like Kenan Thompson or Will Ferrell or, or, or Kate McKinnon are very good at, you know, like mm -hmm. very, very focused at presenting that at the right times. And that, mm -hmm. it was such a like uh, moment of that for me where I was like, oh, OK, I see. I definitely see how <laughs> like like where like the separation, <laughs> the cream of the crop here, you know, like oh, um, God, thank you. Oh, for sure. I mean, is that something is, is your are your because you said you didn't study. You weren't in the theater department at Wesleyan. No, not at all. Yeah. Where did that training come from? I think everything informs everything. So like, I, I'm a commercial actor. I'm a, uh, I'm, I audition for TV and film and like I write and I do improv and like I think all the skill sets you learn from one are generally speaking universal to all the other ones um so like it's all one big soup and all the skills help each other and so a lot of that came from um first of all thank you for saying that's 
so incredibly kind for considering I'm just dumping mustard on my head and being an idiot. Um, also, shout out to Davy Gardner who wrote that sketch. Um, but I think a lot a lot of it came from uh, 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 Boom Chicago in Amsterdam. Uh, so like that's a American English speaking comedy theater in the Netherlands. Um, and they put on a, a Second City style show. So it's like sketches and like short form improv for predominantly um, tourist audience. But it's English. It's in English. And it's like an American cast. Um, and there's been like some alum, some like famous alum, like Jordan Peele and Seth Meyers are like their two biggest exports. Yeah. Um, yeah I was going to mention and, them. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're like, I and mean, there's other cool people too, like Ike Barinholtz and like Matt Jones and like a, a lot of great people have gone through there. But anyways, and they... Uh, that was like boot camp for me. That was like that was like comedy grad school for me because it was like you get reps every night for a year, basically. And yeah, like, that's what Seth Myers was saying about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and it's it's a training ground because it's like uh, when you do improv, it's like this is it. This is an audience that that it's not like an audience that knows you. It's not like Harold Night where everyone there is amped because they know that you're their favorite performer or something. It's you know. It's it's like the famously uh, uh, hard to impress Dutch with their arms crossed. You know what I mean? Um, or like, uh, and the same thing with the writing. The writing like has to be like broad, but also like uh, broad enough to, that everyone understands, but like specific enough to you, so you enjoy doing it every night. Um, so a lot of it came, I think, just from like uh, 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 doing that. I mean, I think with, with anything that's like the 10,000 hours thing, and this has to do with the improv thing we're talking about before is that like you go through that phase where you're so hard focused. You're like, I have to be good at improv. And that means da, 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 like these things that I want to learn how to do or master or whatever. And it takes, um, doing it long enough that you don't care about those things anymore or like that they are no longer top of mind. I mean, it's the, it's the consciously competent, thing you know what i mean there's like mm-hmm. you know that four layer thing uh the goal is to be unconsciously competent um but i think all that comes from like the ten thousand hours and just like doing it and being like okay i at after a certain point i just trust that my instinct is correct because otherwise i'm gonna like you know overthink this into not being funny um but with that with that sketch specifically the mustard one a lot of it i think has to do with like that team is great um and it was i think very well written very well directed like hunter nelson directed it and he's i love him um and so a lot of it is like i mean you know i i never did theater before so i didn't know that this that theater is great for this reason but it's like just working a scene over and over again with the director being like try to imagine it like your point of view is this and then like play with it in this way and like just manipulating it to get different flavors of how of your performance and so by the time we did that live i had never done it with the actual mustard in the sketch is basically the sketch is basically, <laughs> for people who haven't seen it the premise is it's like a high school sitcom like say by the bell and like the main characters are like who are you gonna go to the prom with well anyone except jeff i mean look at him and it's like a cutaway to jeff and he like can't even squirt hot dog uh, catch up on his hot dog without like squirting it on himself and he's like oh i messed up you know and normally in those shows it cuts back to the say by the bell main characters but in this sketch basically every time they cut back to me like i'm dumping more and more mustard on myself uh it's to very the stupid. point where you end up dumping a whole carton like the big jug of mustard it's like a tub yeah <laughs> it's disgusting it was completely disgusting um <laughs> But something like that was just like I, I I think it was it was the director and the writer and the team like making me look good because they're it's like it requires four people to be the straight man in that scene you know 
just so I can dump mustard on myself. It's like all written around the idea of like, how can we make Woody dumping mustard on his head as believable as possible? Um, and if I was to do that by myself, it would be insane, you know, like, but it's in that one, I was like, this is, a, this is a, this is a great, beautiful team effort, like putting that together. I love that. And I love the shout out to Davey in there. Uh, oh, you know, Davey? Show, good friend of ours. Yeah. Davey's great. Uh, we love Davey. But also, uh, I like the your point of view that it all informs, like everything you do sort of informs any one thing. And I totally agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I definitely, I mean, that was part of the reason why I started taking improv was to help my acting chops and my writing chops and, mm. and everything. Like I, I, I wanted all of that. Is your background originally theater or where do you, how do you enter improv from? So I... I, in in college, I minored in theater, but I was a mass communication major, media major. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I've, I mean, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be an actor and, and do comedy. But mm-hmm. I definitely went through school saying like, oh, you know, be the good kid and and uh, you know get a job. And so I was like, well, this is it. I could get a job in radio. Um, so that was like the plan A sort of thing. And I kind of disagree with that approach now, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, all that aside, um, I got it when I, after, after a few years of being in acting, I was wanting to write more and, uh, a book I was reading suggested to do stand up, and I started doing stand up, And then, mm-hmm. uh, then I saw after a few years of doing stand up, I saw Cat like the DVD mm-hmm. and, uh, just, fell in love with the idea of improv and I was in South Carolina, but there, there was no improv to do in South Carolina and until my old theater um, came to town and uh, they, they started uh, their stuff. And eventually I started taking classes there. Then I moved mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. after a few mm-hmm. years. So um, yeah, I guess it was uh, three years of doing improv before moving to New York. Mm-hmm. And starting classes at uh, at at Magnet, so that's mm-hmm. that's how I got into it. It was just like always having a love for comedy and nerding out about it ever yeah. since I was a little kid, um, and and I wanting mean, to it, perform. And improv thrives on that. Is like mm-hmm. improv would not exist if not for a bunch of nerdy people <laughs> thinking that they can be more clever than other nerdy people, <laughs> right? On the fly, yeah. As long as that type of nerd exists, improv will be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I, I miss going into the theater and watching shows so much right now, talking to you about yeah. all this. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about your comedic perspective uh, because, I mean, you you write these character pieces and you do improv. So you're, you're um, you know, while you're also acting other people's work, you have your own perspective. What would you say is your perspective? Oh man, <laughs> if I, if I knew I would have a lit agent, um, <laughs> I, it's hard to say like, I, cause I feel like a lot of my comedy up until, um, probably when I went to boom, honestly, which was 2015 was very much rooted in like my first big influence was Mon- Monty Python. So a lot of, um, like like kind of patter song, hyper specific uh, details slash like huge absurdity, very physical. All the John Cleese stuff, um, all the goofball shit, like all the all the uh, uh, the Holy Grail and, and Life of Brian stuff. Um, I like I loved 
loved Monty Python and like had their CDs and like could I could probably recite to you like entire sketches from memory um, or at least in 11th grade I definitely could um, and that was like a huge thing and I was a huge fan of like that kind of like absurdist like uh, but like kind of grounded absurdist like like very committed absurdist uh, comedy and so a lot of that was um, I tried to do that as much as possible in improv I think I think before I went to Boom, a lot of it was me figuring out what I like to do in improv scenes, and it ended and it slowly I realized that it was that. Um, which uh, right before I went to Boom was I performed with Metal Boy like regularly, and like that was the team where like that was like my first Megawatt team that like everything. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know, Megawatt is like the house team improv system at the Magnet Theater. Um, that was the team that uh, I really clicked with because I'd been on like. Like six. Oh wow! Megawatt oh yeah, I guess that. you know that was six years into your <laughs> magnet theater run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd I'd been on so many uh, megawatt teams that I was truly like. By the time I got on Metal Boy, I was like, all right, um, if this doesn't work out, like I think I'm done. Um, but that team really clicked, and like I got a, and especially because that team is so cartoony that we like I really got to indulge like the weirdo absurd shit that I. I can't really pull off with most teams or at least would let, at least not with such like ha- as quickly as we do it. Um, and so um, that was it up until boom. And I think boom was changed things for me because it was the first time I was like, Oh, you can do this professionally. Uh, oh, wow. And it's, okay. It's not like all it takes to do this professionally is the will to do it professionally. You know what I mean? Like to just commit and be like, no, I'm pursuing this. And like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop till I make money from it, you know? Um, and then like, it's really just like a, a, a deciding, ma- deciding to make the decision, you know, that thing, right. like committing to like the, the path. Um, and so boom was a couple things. One was that it was like a, a boot camp because of the reps and because the audience can be like unforgiving, uh, like a lot of like screaming drunko, like, um, uh, British stag and hen parties. You know what I mean? Like, can we get a suggestion? Trump toilet, Starbucks. Yeah. Great. There's another scene <laughs> holding a Starbucks in the toilet. Right. And so, um, that was like, uh, the that kind of like was where improv like stopped being precious to me in a in a in a way that like allowed you to like take it less seriously afterwards. In a way that ultimately I think loosens you up. But I think also Boom was a place where. And this is like shows like how incredibly like blinders on I was at the time that I was like really like realized that I am an Asian person in the sense that like, you know, before that I was in New York, very, very uh, liberal bubble. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you see a ton of people who are like you here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And also like no one's like um, it's it's the tone of it is different. You know, I mean, everyone is like liberal educated well-intentioned for the most part um and then i go to another country where i realize that like for a predominantly foreign audience european audience who sees me they see me they see me first as an asian person and then secondarily what i act like what my personality is actually like and so right that like revealed itself to me and so when i came back i was much more like all right i uh uh, I'm, I've much more have these tools, like these comedy tools. Um, and also I like view myself differently. 
Um, like I am aware that <laughs> this is so weird to say, but I'm like, I am aware that I am Asian and that that is a strength of mine because that's a thing I can draw from that no one else can or that uh, I, I don't see a lot of rather. There's a freedom to, uh, I think what you're speaking to and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there is a freedom to being who you are because before you went to boom Chicago, it was sort of like, yeah, yeah, this is normal me being who I am. So I don't need to highlight anything. I don't need to focus on it or think about it from that perspective. But when you weren't in that New York bubble where you are accepted for who you are by most mm-hmm. of the people around, uh, and and people just see you as an agent first when you mm-hmm. come back it's like oh i um, and i don't i don't want to put words in your mouth but i think for me uh having that experience coming from south carolina i've sort of like oh i've been taking for granted a lot of things because i have a lot more freedom to be who i am here than yeah. and, i did yeah. there and it also cuts you off from a lot of your own voice because it's kind of like high school where you're like, my job is to just assimilate into high school and not draw attention to myself because I want to get out of here and go to college and like not actually be as weird as I actually am. And so you kind of like repress or silence a chunk of yourself because you think people won't understand. So it's like, and a lot of that was like, for me, I was like, okay, I, I like doing this absurd, silly cartoon stuff. Um, and it's also a lot faster and a sugar rush to do it than it is for me to like, oh man, how do I introduce my race into this improv scene in a way that the audience doesn't feel like, that in a way that the audience feels taken care of, that they can enjoy, that it doesn't feel like I'm proselytizing or explaining something to them. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. I just sidestep that whole thing. And then, and to your point, coming back and, and with that knowledge, it was like, no, there that that stuff has always been there. I just feel confident enough now to to like address it. To use it. That's exactly how I felt coming here. Because um, mm. I, I did feel like a little bit of like, all right, I have to, ex- I want to talk about this perspective, but I have to almost ask permission <laughs> to do it. Yeah. Whereas like, I don't okay, have to do that audience? Here. Yeah, 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 which I, I just don't have to do here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can just be myself and people will just be happy to have gained... <laughs> the perspective or to relate to the perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's fear. A lot of it, it's like high school in a lot of ways. It's like, I'm afraid to show you how weird I actually am. And that feeling is, is very raw. And like on stage, you know, it's like, everything's heightened. Everything is like, your fears are more primal. Like all those things are your, your adrenaline is up. All those things are operating. Right. And it takes a while. This is the 10,000 hours things too. It's it takes a while of, um, being on stage where the fear goes away and you actually are starting to make conscious decisions. You know what I mean? Instead of just sort of like vomiting up the first thing that you say because like, fuck, I have to say something right now. Um, a lot of it is just like that uh, uh, feeling like, okay, I'm no longer like terrified of wanting to fit, like trying to fit in or whatever. Like I can actually like decide how I want the scene to go or what this piece I'm writing is actually about. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot uh, to, to consider and to take in. And it's, it, it's to have that freedom is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it took me uh, many years. Oh yeah. I'm still doing it. I, I feel like I am too. I, I feel like I still have a lot more to grow in that respect when it comes to, because we're the same age. Um, mm-hmm. 
I uh, does that does age come into it at all for you, or have you broken through that wall too? No, that's always there because <laughs> I'm like I'm always like I'm com- I'm in a field competing where everyone is 25 and like a beautiful like NYU like Tisch School of right, the Arts right. graduate. You know right, what I mean? Right. Everyone has an agent by the time they're 25, and I'm like Jesus Christ, I have a huge amount of catch up to do. Yeah, yeah. So how do you get through that? How do you, how have you managed? Uh, I anxiety dump on Amanda, my girlfriend <laughs> and my therapist. Um, no, the truth is that like, it's, it's always like top of mind for me in some way. And I think a lot of it is that if I have an idea and I'm working, then I'm like normally like very, then I'm engaged and I'm like happy that I'm doing what I'm doing. And a, a lot, and if I don't, then I start like anxiously obsessing over like, well, I don't have this, I don't have that mindset of scarcity, you know? Um, but I think, I don't know, it, it comes and goes. It depends, like, how you're feeling. You know, it depends if you are, like, inspired. It depends if you have projects that you're working on that are, are interesting and compelling to you or if you're working with people that inspire ideas. You know what I mean? Like, I feel very lucky that I've been, like, working with my writing partner, SJ Sun, on a bunch of things. And, like, it's been keeping me, like, yes, yes, you, you need, you got to keep the axe sharp. You need to keep being creative in small ways or big ways, you know, even quarantine or otherwise, like, and that's manifest in different ways for everyone. Like some people like, okay, I have to do like a front facing character video every single day. Um, and other people like, I'm going to start a podcast or whatever. It's like, it's just keeping, um, mindful of your creative side, you know? And I think a lot, I think if you can keep doing that, I mean, this is also like big magic. I've read that book. Liz Liz Gilbert. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've totally Great. read that. Yeah, I love that. Love that book. But it's that kind of thing, too. It's just like being receptive to the muse, you know, like just keeping the axe sharp and doing your due diligence and like understand that this is work as opposed to like this should always be fun. And if it's not fun, then like I'm sad. Um, but you're always like working so that when you're in a state to accept th- the big idea when it comes and you're like, oh, I'm like my muscles. I have muscles. I can do this, you know? Yeah. I think one of the things that inspired me recently was Cambry Cruz. I don't. I'm sure you've heard of her. She's uh, the founder of uh, QED um, and, and runs that. And she was. Um, I, I interviewed her a few weeks back, and she really inspired me because she was saying, like, you know, she's almost fifty, and she is, uh, has braces, and she is uh, getting back into. Uh, uh, ice skating and learning to uh, paint with watercolors you know like she's she's taking on new things that the old school thought was oh you got to do that young you got to start doing that when you're a teenager you got to start you know once you're older than 25 just don't do it don't bother you know and it's like laughable to even try and just I, i think there's a courage to her doing that stuff because of the way people talk about it but i don't I don't know if she looks at it that way. I think she looks at it as like, this is the fountain of youth. This is what keeps me uh, (laughs) going forward and growing as a person and, and happy and healthy mentally. Uh, So I I just love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it. That it is the thing that, that keeps you um, kind of in touch with like child brain. Yeah. Some of the people I'm most inspired by are people who said, who cares about age? I am going to do this thing that I I want to do because I want to do it and I shouldn't have to be young to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think all those, like I get in my head, like all the scarcity and lack because I'm like, well, I'm a certain age and 
I should be this, I should be that, and I should be at this point in my career because, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's, it's practical thinking. It's also very much like a child of immigrant thinking, but um, it's going to be there no matter what, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that all also goes back to the original decision of like the decision to decide. Like uh, when I came back from Boom, I was like, I am going to, uh, one of my castmates, Emily Fightmaster, um, they were like, uh, I am now only going to do work I'm only going to get paid for jobs if it's in the world of comedy. So writing, performing, acting. I'm not going to do bullshit side jobs to sustain comedy. And I'm like, that is so impressive. And like, they were able to do that. And I'm like, I did the same thing when I came back from boom. Like, okay, I'm only going to do jobs that come from performing. I'm not going to like be a waiter or like do a side tech job or whatever. Um, And there's that, there's that like, uh, leaping without a net quality to it. That's like, you have to make it work because this is the thing you committed to do. Oh gosh. Yeah. And that's, that's, that takes some bravery. And I love that, um, that you're doing that and you're going about that. Oh my Um, gosh. So much anxiety all the time. Oh, oh, for sure. (laughs) But you know, when you said, um, that it's, uh, that's always there, it sort of made me think, I'm sure that the way you meant it was, Uh, That concern is always there. But I also heard it as that thing that you want to do is going to be there no matter what. So Mm. the way I I, take that is I can either do it or not, and it's my choice. That thing that I want to do, regardless of the concerns that are there, that Mm. thing that I want to do, whether it's learning a new skill or putting myself out there a certain way, I can either do it or not do it. It's always going to be there. And so mm-hmm. if I want to do it, I'm going to choose to do it. Yeah. And it's also like um, part part of deciding to do it is like I'm going to – it's the big magic thing. is like I'm going to work my skill set such that uh, when the idea comes, I'm not going to ignore it and just let it die. I'm going to be able to honor the idea with all my faculty as much as possible. Yes. Uh, you also mentioned uh, Emily Fightmaster. Um and they're great. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I was at a brilliant, brilliant performer. Yeah, I was at If Cincy, and uh, they performed and was phenomenal. And um, yeah, commands the stage. Oh, f- oh gosh, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So commands the stage, and and just walking out, you know, just being mm-hmm. there, not mm-hmm. not in how they perform improv, but just oh gosh, uh, I, I love Fightmaster. Love Fightmaster. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit about your acting work because uh, you've done some cool things. Like uh, you've even uh, you've been on Comedy Central. I guess uh, Roy Woods Jr.'s uh, thing that was for mm-hmm. that's a, that was a, a Comedy Central show, right? That was a sketch that they filmed um, to help promote uh, one of his stand-up specials. Ah, right, right. How far into your doing improv was that, or was that before you started improv? pursuing acting in general so that that came after boom also i came back and i had all this energy and like drive and mojo and i didn't know what to do and i was like should i just start doing stand-up should i write a one-man show should i you know what i mean should i move to chicago and go through second city so that i can try to get main stage should i move to la like all those were in my brain and um and i decided to stay in new york and um 
one of the things that happened was uh, Ed from The Magnet was like, oh, do you have a commercial agent? Are you auditioning for commercials? I'm like, no. He's like, that's step one. You know what I mean? Like, it for, I mean, and that's the thing is that, like, I think everybody in, in improv, or at least <laughs> everyone in UCB, I think, feels a little more entitlement in this regard than Magnet people um, because UCB is much more overtly, like, industry-facing. But it's the idea that, like, you know, there's there's a sequence of of your career if you're a uh, improv person if you're a veteran improviser right it's like you go through improv and then you do a team then you do a weekend team and then after that you realize you want to try to do this for real and then that means getting a commercial agent and then maybe getting a tv agent and then like writing a pilot and then maybe becoming broad city or whatever you know like people have it in their mind this like this linear path um which at the magnet i like you know the magnet doesn't really they don't really have like a lot of industry facing initiatives. Um, but Ed was like, Oh yeah. Like I'm going to set you up with a meeting for my a commercial agent. I'm like, great. Yes. Uh, thank you. Ed Herbstman. <laughs> Shout out to Ed Herbstman. Um, and, uh, from that I was like, Oh, um, uh, I also took a meeting with Nick Vitale. Um, shout out to Nick Vitale. Um, Cause I was also like, I don't, I, I have this energy and I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, who are some people that you look up to? You know what I mean? What are goals? What are career goals? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And one of the things he said to me, I was like, I think I want to be on TV, but also like, you know, who am I? No background, no theater, la la la. And he's like, look, here's the thing. Bottom line is like, look at people on TV. Look at the jobs they're doing. Do you think you could do that job? You know what I mean? Like, do you think they're necessarily quote unquote better than you? And I'm like, no, I could do this. You know, and that's part of the decision to decide. I was like, I guess it's not crazy to think that I could be on TV or audition for TV, you know, like it really is just like anything else. Like you just have to put in your time and like know what you're doing or, or at least have a, some sense of like what you can do that's different from other people. Um, so for that, the Roy Wood thing, that was just like um, that was actually I, I, I got that, I think, because I knew the director, uh, Michael Wolf from Story Parts. Shout out, Michael Wolf. Um he he knew me from story parts and he was directing that short and i think uh he called me in because we already knew each other but like um all the decision to act stuff came oh my god (laughs) honestly i feel like in retrospect had i been like a ucb person i would have like maybe gotten representation earlier because i was like i was like i don't know i don't know what any of this is i'm like in the jungle you know what i mean there's no I, I don't know like how to do any of this stuff. I'm just like, I guess I will take a bunch of workshops with casting directors. Cause that's what actors do. And th- those resources are available to me. Like, you know, unlike UCB, which is like, okay, once we like you, we're going to put you in these showcases specifically for industry. Right. Uh, Magnet like didn't really have that initiative in place. So I was like, I guess I'm just starting over from nothing. Um, meeting cast directors, trying to get an agent, don't know what any of that means. Don't know anything about this industry. Don't have like a rabbi. Um, although uh, Ed and Nick and people that I knew who like had reps were very helpful when I asked them. Um, I felt like I was just like kind of learning by doing mistakes, by making mistakes, you know. Um, so uh, and it took that was a whole other like <laughs> very like daunting learning curve. That was like two years of me. That was like three months truly of me trying to get an agent, like meeting like. I was like aggressively, I'm going to meet an agent like every day. I'm going to sign up for all these like uh, pay to plays at like one-on-one and actors, act, uh, actors connection, la la la. Um, 
super aggressively trying to get a rep. And then, um, uh, and so for like two years, I was like auditioning, no idea what I was doing, like <laughs> zero on camera training. You know what I mean? Just like going and being like, this is a sketch. And like, the more I did it, realizing it was like, oh, actors are trained and good at what they do. And I have zero training and I'm not really prepping that hard for these auditions. I should probably like take on camera classes. You know, I should probably like learn this thing. So it's like, it to me, those that from 20, 2016, when I came back from boom through 2018, those two years were very uh, intense learning curve. Cause I was like, I was like, oh, commercials. Okay. Oh, that's one skill set, which is different from on camera for TV, which is different from like improv, which is different from sketch. Even though a lot of those things, like I said before, like those skill sets are intertwined in a lot of ways. Um, it's just like knowing the medium that you're in and, and what the tone of what it is. Um, a lot of it came from just those two years of me eating shit and then being like, okay, I've eaten a lot of shit. I'm, I'm tired of eating shit. I want to like, get good at this shit. Um, I want to get good at not eating shit. And uh, eventually, like, um, kind of knowing what I'm doing on camera. Like, even now, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing on camera. I'm just kind of thinking I know it. Like, I have a better idea than I did two years ago, certainly. But, you know, like I said, I have no theatrical training. Like, I'm like, I have no formal training. You know, people talk about, like, objective and, like, kiss or kill and all this, like, Stella Adler stuff. And I'm like, uh, so should I wave my arms and be funny now? Like, what should I do? Um, but all the projects I learned, I, I, I did like that Roy Wood thing is very much like just at the beginning of me being like, okay, I think I kind of got what. I oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and since that was a sketch, maybe it kind of helped to take, uh, what you learned from sketch into that shoot. But, um, also you were able to utilize anything you learned about, being on camera yeah exactly mm -hmm. for certain things you really have to know how to position yourself uh depending on where the cameras are like uh, like three camera comedies people don't realize like people may not like the product and that's fine but the actors are actually doing really great work beyond what we realize because mm -hmm. you have to stand a certain way on a three camera show just to like be observed properly and let your performance be showcased properly. Yeah. Multi, I mean, multicam is, is in a lot of ways, like short form, like it gets shit on, I think by like, um, the hoity toity, but also the skill set it gives you is like so powerful. Like anytime I take an on-camera class and we get like multicam, uh, sides to work, like, you know, like any, any, uh, like big bang theory or whatever. Um, those scenes are like, fun because they require you be, they require you to be so sharp fast and turn on a dime and like and it's not um affected either like you need to like earn every transition so it's like it, you need to be like very sharp in how you perform and it's like i'll work them with like an with an acting coach and i'm like fuck this is hard and fun you know it's like it's you just have to be like um I honestly, <laughs> I honestly love multicam sides, and I love short form improv. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree. You know, I've, a number of people have said. Uh, I think um, even recently, uh, there've been people mm. who've been on the podcast to say like, getting good at short form really helps you in long form. <laughs> yeah. 
because there's times in long form where you need to have a joke ready to go. And that's the thing. It's like you watch all these guys like Scott Adsit, like all these people who are like Second City luminaries. You know they have a second they they have a short form background because they can choose when to dip into their short form and just have a joke right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can choose when to be like long form and like let it sit and like give it time or whatever. Um, but they they know they've done both so long that they know when one's appropriate when the one's not. Um, and also short form is like all cheap tricks, but it's like incredibly. Uh, uh, easy to watch. It's incredibly entertaining. You know, like all that like dance and like sing suddenly and like new choice, whatever. Like, <laughs> I love those games. I'll be honest. I like it when it's good for sure. Um, I Something sort of burned me on it because I didn't have a problem with short form at all and I heard people sort of dog it and I was like, ah, whatever. I, I, you know, it's fine. It's, it's fun to do. I was having fun doing it at my old theater. And then I was at a festival where the headliner was just shitting on it in the workshop that we did. And then that night I saw a short form show uh, from a big theater or semi-big theater, and they were doing all the things I didn't like about mm. short form. And so it made me go like, I don't, uh, it like shattered the glass for me. Mm. But I mean, whose lines it anyway? That's solid stuff. Like these, those performers are solid. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with long form. Like if you're watching bad long form, it's like put a bullet in my head. But if you're watching good long form, it's sublime, you know? Yeah, I mean, people will learn the wrong lesson from things, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that definitely is just as true for stand up or long form uh, as it is for short form, because yes, it, it's it's just people thinking, oh, this is the thing, and let me overdo it <laughs> without yep. any substance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've reached the end of the episode. It's now time oh. to create something together. Um, oh. And I'm, I'm wondering what that can be. Now, a part of me kind of wants to uh, have you demonstrate, since you went through that two years of uh, trying real hard and real, being real focused on getting uh, an agent and, and pursuing acting, I'm curious uh, if we can set up maybe a plan of action for anyone who wants to accomplish the same thing. Like, what are the things mm. that you could highlight that were uh the most useful things for that yeah absolutely um (laughs) this is this is really funny because i'm like man i would have loved to have gotten this when i was at that place you know what i mean (laughs) yeah um i think okay uh a a bunch of things Uh, because this is really just like goal setting right this is like the path like uh cape coaching like stuff like that but it really is is at the end of the day what do you long form actually want to be doing long term what do you want to actually be doing um and that means being super honest with yourself and not apologizing so it's like okay you know what if my goal is to be on snl to be like that's my goal as opposed to like i want to be on snl but reasons why i can't like if you're if that really is your thing then that's achievable you know that's achievable within like a year or two if you are like committed to like putting in the work um because like all things, it's like work, it's timing, it's luck, it's who you know. It's mostly luck and timing, but you need to be ready. You need to have done the work, you know, uh, similar to the bag, the big magic idea. But like, so um, practical steps. Um, when I came back from Boom, it was 2016. I was like, I want to pursue this, but I have no idea what and how. Um, I think I want to write. I think I want to perform. Uh, 
it's okay to do everything until you don't know until you know what you don't want to do you know so it's like it's okay to try stand up then improv then sketch then write characters and do all of that for six months i mean you might burn yourself out but like during that time you'll be like actually sketch sucks or stand up sucks i don't want to do that and i'm actually realizing i like more uh you know characters or whatever like to figure out that by doing is very necessary i think um next thing uh and this is all just purely like like granular New York City like hustle shit is like um, what is your goal? Do you want to write? Do you want to be in commercials? Do you want to be on TV? Do you want to do improv? Don't do improv because the only practical applications for improv are you audition for commercials with people who don't know improv or you teach improv. Um, but like if you want to write, then it's like, okay, then what do you want to write for? Do you want to write for late night TV shows? Do you want to write for sitcoms? Like and then start looking up uh, if you're a diver- if you're a diverse person. Look up like scholarship applications because like NBC, CBS, ABC all offer diversity platforms. Strangely, I don't think Fox does. LOL. But um, look those up, you know. And then like create a, a schedule, being like the deadline for the NBC late night writers workshop is this date. That means I need to have work backwards. I need to have a page of uh, topical monologue jokes by then, right? That means I need to have written, you know, the the 10 to 1 ratios. Like, for every 10 jokes you write, one's going to be good. Like, get put put in the work. Like, write 100 jokes so you can have 10 jokes ready for that thing, you know? And all that time, you're, like, developing that and, like, keeping track of the other uh, uh, scholarship opportunities or whatever. Um, that's for writing. Also, like, if you want to get a lit agent, you know, ask people who... This is the other thing that I learned um, from Nick Vitale, it, which is nobody almost nobody if you approach someone and you're like hey person i don't really know that well who i respect um can i get you a coffee sometime just so i can like kind of talk to you about career stuff because i respect your point of view almost everybody will say yes to that and that's invaluable because like to have a candid conversation with someone who actually like can tell you the nitty-gritty of how to do something like this is how i found out how jfl works this is how i found out how to get a manager this is how i found out like should i try to get different representation, you know, like all kinds of like information can be gotten if, if you just ask people that you respect. So if you want to be an actor, like ask people, ask people who have done it because in this field, there's no, there's no guide. There's no map. It's just people going, everyone's path is completely different. Um, the, something Ed told me about acting, the only two things you're in control of is how prepared you are and whether or not you quit. And, that's that that's, that lesson is so true and such uh, good advice I, I think about it all the time uh because usually when i'm thinking about quitting <laughs> but it's like um so in an acting world it's like okay so what do you want to do? do you want to be a commercial actor that means getting a commercial agent that means asking your friends who have commercial agents you know um do you want to be a tv actor that means getting a tv agent and then same thing how do you meet these tv agents right uh if you're at a theater like ucb which um no longer exists but like has access to industry nights then like that could be like a plan like i my goal is to be on herald night or mod night so that i can showcase for industry you know um if your goal is to be a stand-up then it's like okay i gotta hit open mics like every night multiple times a night you know um and it's really just like working backwards from what is actually doable i mean this is all like goal setting again it's like uh the 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 path betsy capes like smart 
E like specific. Uh, I forget the I M. It's it's like the the goals need to follow into this like rubric of like uh, realistic uh, timeliness. Is it exciting to you? How specific is this goal? You know how actionable is it? Like quantify it. Like I would like to lose weight versus I want to lose ten pounds by December. You know like having tangible goals that you can achieve, um, and honestly sticking to it. And that's like having accountability groups and blah blah blah. But like a, all of that is like execution. But it all goes back to the original decision to decide, which is like, I can, you can, all of this is moot if um, you don't want to commit to it. You know what I mean? So that original thing of like, what do I, what actually lights me up? What do I actually want to do? Perfect world without any shame. What would I love to make? For me, it's like, I would love to make uh, an Asian key and peel sketch show with my writing partner, SJ. I, that's my one of my dreams. Right. And so like, okay, I don't know how to do that, but I know how to like, right. I know part of it is just keeping writing sketches and like being receptive to the idea of making them like in quarantine or whatever. Um, and like trying to make that happen, but also having, you know, working on other things as well, but like, uh, being realistic and unapologetic about what you actually want, even if it's like crazy pie in the sky, um, because you work backwards and you can do those things in a manageable, uh, like linear way and LOL linear, none of this is linear, but you, but it's also like, if I look at it from now, it is linear. You know, if I look back five years ago to now, it does seem linear, even though when I'm, and I'm still inside of it now, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? How does this lead to that? This is all fucking chaos. You know, <laughs> I should go work at Best Buy. Um, but a lot of it is just like uh kind of re reinvesting in those in your original goals as well and like revisiting being like do i still want this maybe i don't want to be a stand-up anymore actually i'm finding that i want i enjoy acting way more than writing and writing sucks and i've always hated it so i actually just want to act you know all that stuff is like it's 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 a process of self-discovery that can constantly be renegotiated um but for me, I would say for those two years, a lot of it was just like, um, ask for help, you know, advocate for yourself and like, don't shit on the things that you want, but actually ask for help. If you don't know, if you're feeling lost and like overwhelmed, like, fuck, I don't know step one of getting a commercial agent. Like there's people in your cohort who have commercial agents and they're all willing to talk to you, you know, and that's true for everything, not just commercial agents for like writing, for auditions, for you know, buying a used car on eBay, like everybody, there's always someone who can help you if you just ask them. There it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Woody. Is that helpful? I feel like I like threw up like a river of words into my mic. <laughs> oh no, gosh, that was super helpful. I really appreciate it. I think those are really actionable and it's really sound advice. So thanks for sharing mm. it and thanks for being on the podcast. Yes. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you, Jason really glad I got him on. Woody's great. You can follow Woody on Twitter at WoodrowFoo and on Instagram at WoodyFoo and see his work at WoodyFoo.com. Don't do the at symbol that time. He also has a new podcast out with SJ Sun called Emotional Slut, which you can get on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow them on Insta at SJ and Woody and go to SJandWoody.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And don't forget to go to ThereItIsPod.com. Links in bio. Until next time, be good to each other.
The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 